Well, it's great to be back. Uh, missed everybody last week. I was preaching at Polsbo Community Church. They're kind of like a, a sister church for us and some good people over there. But I always miss our people when we're away. And, and you know, Kath, Kathy, obviously, for health reasons, can't make it to this or to the uh, uh, celebration of life for Kenny. And she feels really bad. But she, she's known Kenny more longer than she knew me. So, uh, but, uh, but just keep her in your prayers. And uh, uh, But like I say, it's great to be back. And we're going to pick up right where we left off in Colossians. Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're going to be at chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start at uh, verse 22. And go to the end of the chapter, and then we might move into chapter 4. And I have the notes in the back um, for uh, chapter 4 over there. Now, we, we help support uh, Sam, Pastor Sam Whitaker, and his wife, Rachel, and their family. We provide a small amount of support monthly. He's a village uh, uh, missions pastor, and, uh, and he helps us put our sermon notes into a book form, and then you could order them on Amazon, or I can get them cheap and get them out to you. I'm going to try to get as many of our uh, sermon notes in book form to our guys and gals, so that you know if things come down where we can no longer meet together, if there's a big crackdown and the church has to go underground, you'll at least have an awful lot of information on uh, on Old Testament and New Testament books that might help you in, uh, in uh, discipling others during difficult times. But Sam puts that together, so I sent the info to him, but then I found out that they, they got to move him out of his parsonage. They're having problem with... with um, it's a lot of problems there with the like uh, exterminators needed and stuff like that, so they got to move him into a new parsonage. So basically it might take an extra month or two before we get get our hands on that. So if you look at Colossians 3, um, starting at, uh, at verse 22, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer one more time that he anoints the, the preaching of the word because the Bible is the word of God. And um, all humans, including whoever's behind a pulpit, we are fallible and we don't want to lead people astray. So if you just join me with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord. We pray you just take care of those who are suffering in the church, whether they be physical or emotional hurts. Um, we pray that you be with us, Lord, and you strengthen us as a church because the days ahead look like they're, they're going to be very difficult for Bible-believing uh, Christians. We, we refuse to worship the state, and, um, and we, we serve you and you alone. And uh, so I just pray, Lord, you prepare us for the days that are ahead and uh, that you would anoint me today to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray, Lord. Um, so I pray you cancel the man, you fill me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth. Pray you open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. And... Uh, and that uh, your spirit would empower us to apply this truth, these truths to our lives so we can be pleasing in your sight through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. So be with us today, Lord, as you were with us in our prayers and praise and worship and fellowship. 
be with us in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now remember, Paul's letter to the Colossians, he gave these to this church a really good report card, you know. They had faith, hope, and love. They were doing fine, but in their area were false teachers that were leading people astray. And so he warns them, don't fall for this false wisdom, this false hidden secret knowledge of these mystery religions trying to lead you away from Christ. Don't let people demote Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the ruler over all creation. He is our creator. He is our redeemer, our savior. He sustains us in existence. And he is not only the head over the whole universe, but he's also the head over the church. That's why we're, we're starting to have some real significant problems with our government. Our government does not acknowledge the headship of Jesus Christ over the church. And the government thinks they can dictate to the church. You want to give us advice, you give us advice. Um, but as far as the church is concerned, we have no king but Jesus. And, uh, and so you never demote Jesus. Okay? Never demote Jesus. That's what was going on there. They were demoting him. No, Jesus created even the highest ranking angelic beings. Jesus is God the Son, become a man to save us. And, uh, but then in chapter 3, after Paul gives us all this doctrine, these biblical teachings, Paul then says, okay, now this is how you should live because of these teachings. You see, uh, good behavior is always based on true doctrine. And many churches try to get to the good behavior first, and they don't think about the true beliefs, okay? But you've got to have the foundation of your, quote-unquote, works, the things you do, how you behave, that's got to be built on the foundation of God's doctrinal truths, okay? Um, you know, I'm telling you, if you don't, if you don't base your life, you could be, your next door neighbor could be the nicest person on the planet Earth. Okay? But if they're not trusting in Jesus for salvation, and they don't acknowledge Jesus as their God and Savior, then they're, they're still doing dead works. You cannot obey God from the heart unless you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, and the Holy Spirit has given you the new birth, and the Holy Spirit is working through you. And so... Uh, the right behavior has to be based on the right doctrine. So Paul tells us uh, to set our mind on heavenly things. Now that we know these, these true beliefs about Jesus, about salvation, about who we are, we're fallen and sinful, we deserve hell, but through faith in Jesus we can be saved through God's grace. We're to put on the new man and put to death the sinful desires. You're not who you used to be. Okay, there's times when the old man or the old woman rears their ugly head, and uh, you got to acknowledge. Look, I'm not. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to righteousness. The Holy Spirit indwells me. The Holy Spirit has empowered me. I have no excuse now for sinning. Um, I can say yes to God and no to sin. 
So we need to put on the new man and put to death the old man and the sinful desires. We need to put on love. Not only does salvation through Jesus produce the new man and the new woman, but it also will produce new relationships. And so we looked at a couple of weeks ago the family being renewed in Christ, where the wife is to submit to her husband's leadership and stand behind him and encourage him. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. You know, a lot of guys say, well, uh, I don't have to love my wife because she won't submit to me. Well, Jesus keeps loving the church. When was the last time the church actually submitted to Christ? We haven't, especially the American church. Okay? And um, we're told that the children are to obey their parents and that the fathers should not frustrate or provoke their children. And now we get into what Paul talks about, masters and slaves. Now, we can apply this today. This is very applicable uh, today because we have work relationships where we have bosses and then we have workers. Okay? So there's much application there. And, uh, but we're going to look at what the Bible says about work relationships. And so look at verses 22 to 24 of Colossians chapter 3. Bond servants, you know, doulos in the Greek, they're talking about slaves. Slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. These are masters according to the flesh. Jesus is our master according to the spirit. But, but obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. In other words, obey your masters even when they're not watching you. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for, for you serve the Lord Christ. Okay? And so, uh, here we see that slaves were ordered by Paul to sincerely obey their masters. Because our reward is from the Lord, not from man. Now, you've got to keep in mind... The ancient church had no political power to abolish slavery. Okay? No political power whatsoever to abolish slavery. Now, what, what ended ancient slavery? The ancient slavery was economic slavery. Uh, if you owed somebody money and you couldn't pay them back, uh, they'd confiscate your land. If you didn't have any land, they'd confiscate you. And you worked for the guy until you paid off your debt. And guess what? If you died without paying off your debt, your kids, your wife, they're still the guy's slaves. And it'd get to the point where it was impossible to pe for people to pay off their debts. And so this was economic slavery. Well, how did ancient economic slavery end? Well, it didn't end in some parts of the world. And it's not a coincidence that the places where it never ended, where slavery just continued were always places that were never impacted by the Christian gospel. Everywhere where Christianity spread, the preaching of the gospel eventually phased out ancient economic slavery. Okay? And um, uh, now, later on, slavery came back. And I think one of the primary forces there 
was a false religion called Islam. A lot of the pirates, if you notice, um, they look Arabic. Well, that's because a lot of the pirates were Arabic, and they were coming from Muslim countries. And so a lot of the slave, the human slave trade, um, was basically um, uh, just taking jihad, Muslim conquest, to the seas. Okay? And uh, what would happen would be the the Muslim pirates would show up and uh, sail to some African tribal village and, um, and they would sell their prisoners of war to the pirates. Uh, but every once in a while, so they were already enslaved before they were sold, but every once in a while they'd show up and the tribe didn't have any prisoners of war, didn't have any slaves to sell them. So then the pirates thought, well, we have gunpowder, they don't. We'll just take them as our slaves. And that was the, the ugly slave trade that got horrible. And then it spread to, quote-unquote, Christian lands. Many, many countries were Christian in name only uh, throughout medieval times. And, um, and, but what we need to understand, you don't blame Christianity. Christianity phased out ancient economic slavery but then it also led to the abolishing of modern racist slavery. Okay? Um, Christianity, Western civilization influenced by Christianity did not invent slavery. It's been here since the beginning. But when it came of age, it ended slavery. You see, you, have, you had to do more than just lead people to Christ and plant churches. You had to begin to, the gospel had to become so widespread that it started impacting your culture which would impact your leaders. And eventually, uh, you'd get things abolished. And so, uh, the slave trade, uh, when you look at the slave trade and slavery, and you want to blame America, just look up online, you know, something like, type in something like, the first ten places on earth to end slavery. And all ten places are going to be Christian Countries that were greatly influenced by the Christian worldview. And uh, probably seven out of the first ten places were all American places. We slam America for not ending slavery till 1865. Hey, when you have a civil war, that's because one side's different from the other side. And so the northern states, states like New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, these states were abolishing the slave trade or slavery itself before the 1800s, in the late 1790s. Um, there was even a clause in the Declaration of Independence to outlaw the slave trade, and, uh, but the southern states wouldn't sign on, and so it had to be removed. And um, so Christianity phased out ancient economic slavery, and it eventually led to the abolishing of modern slavery. We, we have to understand this. Even like when it comes to ending abortion, stopping the killing uh, of unborn babies, um, and standing up for what is, what is just in a society, we have to understand that is not the gospel. The gospel that we share is leading people to Christ and discipling them, leading them to Jesus' to salvation. Now, the implications of that when you get saved, you're supposed to live like the new man. 
and then enter into new relationships and even new work relationships. And guess what? You start influencing your culture. And then all of a sudden, which is very rare in the history of the church, all of a sudden Christians have political say. I think that when we live in a free country, uh, our job as Christians is more difficult than when we live in an anti-Christian totalitarian state. Because uh, when you have no political say, you, you basically just worship Jesus and share Jesus and disciple people and you try to get away with it. Um, but when you're free, all of a sudden you've got all this be a good citizen political responsibility. And you don't want to shout too loud on the political issues that people think that that's the gospel that you preach. It's not. At the same time, you don't want to be too quiet. I would hate to be a pastor in Nazi Germany in a concentration camp trying to explain to some non-believer sitting down next to me in the camp trying to explain to him why I never sounded the alarm from my pulpit that the Nazis were coming to power. Okay? And... Um, so we just proclaim God's truth. We've got to love everybody and proclaim God's truth. Uh, but this whole idea that Christianity invented slavery, no, Thomas Jefferson summed it up pretty well. He said, slavery is like holding, holding a wolf by the cheeks. You don't want to hold on, but you can't figure out how to let go. Okay? And um, uh, Thomas Jefferson gets slammed a lot. Um, it was illegal for him in Virginia to free his slaves because he was always in debt. He died in debt. And if you're in debt, uh, you can't free your slaves. You've got to give them to whoever you owe the money to. And um, so he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. All he could do was try to treat his slaves well. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Sometimes man, fallen man, will create horrible situations that even Bible-believing Christians will have a tough time figuring, how do we get out of this? Okay? Now, let me say this. We could say, praise God, that uh, after the Civil War, slavery was abolished in America. I do want to say this. The slave trade is alive and well in America today. And we have an awful lot of politicians that are looking the other way but are promoting political policies that increase the slave trade right here in America um, by not protecting our borders. It sounds so nice to let just people come across. Let me tell you, we, we are funding uh, drug cartels. We are funding terrorist organizations that smuggle people across the border. Ladies are being raped on the border. Uh, and then humans are being sold into slavery in America for purposes of labor or sex. And so don't, don't let the, the media, with its fake news, don't let them lie to you about the illegal immigration. Um, I mean, there, there's some times where just there's a bunch of children are coming across, and they all have like little bracelets or something that, that basically tell the drug cartel guys, the, uh, the coyotes on the other side, who goes where, okay? Uh, but human slavery is alive and well today. Tim Tebow, a lot of people don't know. Tim Tebow, they think, boy, 
What a has-been. He was a f- football player. They didn't think he was good enough. Actually, he talked about Jesus too much for them, for the NFL. And um, they think he's a has-been. No, he's probably doing better now than he ever was, but that's one of his major ministries is fighting human trafficking. Okay? So it's a blessing to live in a country where slavery is outlawed, but you'd be naive to say it's not happening just because it's illegal. Okay? And um, it's alive and well in this country. I grew up in uh, uh, Essex County, New Jersey, spent my first few years in East Orange, and um, I watched a program where a, um, uh, a, a couple owned slaves, Afri- two African slaves, and um, eventually they sent them outside the home to work in a beauty parlor. And they heard them talking about how they can't go out to eat with their coworkers because all the money goes to to the, this couple and this and that. And after a while, the work coworkers started thinking, "Boy, that's that's kind of strange." And it led to an investigation. Found out they had been enslaved since they were ch- children. Now they locked up the the husband and wife, uh, gave them long prison sentences. They'll probably die in prison. The son was only thirty-one years old, but. Um, I think they gave him a one-year prison sentence and then mandatory counseling because I think they just figured out parents like that, he's going to be messed up. We've got to try to help teach him how to be a human being here. And um, But um, so uh, whatever the case, slavery is still alive and well in America today. And um, look into Tim Tebow's ministry and some other ministries that are fighting that. But ancient slavery was not based on race, it was based on debt. And so Paul says, look, if you're a slave, my heart goes out to you. Obey your master, even when he's not looking, okay? Now Paul's got, there's more to this here. This is, this is Colossians here. This is Coloss, okay? There's more to that. And if you study your Bible closely, you would see that when he goes on later on, and he mentions, mentions a guy named Onesimus. There's a lot more going on here. Okay? And, um, but, you know, Paul couldn't, uh, Paul couldn't go around and say, hey, vote for Christian politicians. There were none. He couldn't say, hey, let's take a petition and change Roman law. Couldn't do it. So what he could do is he could tell Christian masters, treat your slaves with respect, Christian slaves, submit to your masters, obey them, okay? Obey Roman law. But he says more than that to a guy who lived in Colossus. A guy named Philemon. Who had a slave named Onesimus. So probably, I don't know, about a year or so when we get to Philemon. We'll read about that, what Paul says there. We'll talk about it a little bit when we get to Onesimus in this, in this later on in this chapter. But, um, but whatever the case, Paul says, hey, by Roman law, I don't have the authority to set you free. So slaves, obey your masters. And then he's going to tell the masters uh, to be fair and kind to their slaves. But verse 25, um, you know, so our reward is from the Lord. We're not looking for a reward from uh, your boss or your master or whatever it may be. 
Verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So, Paul's saying, God doesn't care if you're a slave or a master. You reap what you sow. Okay? And you've got to obey the king, because ultimately, the ultimate master is God himself. So God punishes uh, wrongdoing. A man reaps what he sows. Paul mentions that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Okay? Um, even as believers, we reap what we sow. Okay? And um, sin can bring us lots and lots of pseudo-happiness, um, but eventually, uh, either here and now or in the hereafter, there's going to be... If you're a, belie- you're a believer, you could lose rewards, eternal rewards, by giving in to sin. Um, but if you do, if you're faithful, God blesses that faithfulness, and so a man reaps what he sows. God is just; He shows no partiality, slave or free. And then look at chapter four. But it's the Lord who gives us the reward. You know, verse twenty-four: knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. Uh, for you serve the Lord Christ. So ultimately, when you're at work and your boss is being a jerk. Look, your ultimate boss is Jesus. And doing your job and obeying your boss, even when he's not watching you, um, you're building rewards in heaven. Okay? And verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. You know, man reaps what he sows. Then we go right into chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so, so Paul's saying, look, if you're a master, I don't care if the Roman state believes that your slave is your property. Your slave doesn't belong to you. Your slave belongs to the Lord. Okay? And so the master must be fair and kind to his slaves and treat his slaves as human beings. And so this was the this was the mess. The message was the best that the church could do was to tell Christian masters treat your slaves fair and just. Christian slaves submit. But then I would even argue when you read Philemon, Paul would say, "Look, if the guy's a brother in Christ, you know." So in other words, if you treat a slave real well, it's like having a servant. You treat them well. You feed them well give him a place to stay, maybe even give him a stipend or whatever it is. But Paul says, you know what? Uh, the Christian ought to free their slaves. That's why the book of Philemon um, was one of those writings, one of those manuscripts that um, the abolitionists in America turned to on a regular basis. But Paul says the master must be fair and kind to his slaves because Jesus is the master of all. Even slave masters must submit to Jesus. they got to answer to Jesus. So the slave might have to answer to his human master. You might have to answer to your human boss. But even your human boss has to answer to the Lord. Okay? It's like when we submit to the governing authorities. Okay? We've got to understand the governing authorities, they got to submit to the Lord. They may not know that. You know, the guy in the White House may not think he's got to submit to the Lord, uh, but he does. And, uh, 
And so uh, the, <clears throat> the master must be fair and kind to his slaves because Jesus is the master of all. Even slave masters must submit to him. Now, I want to look a little bit ahead. Uh, we're not going to go over this passage today, uh, probably be next week, but Colossians 4, 9, he, he talks about that Paul's saying, I'm going to send you uh, Tychicus, uh, beloved, beloved brother, faithful minister, verse 7, but then in verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? The guys from Coloss. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Okay? Now, who is Onesimus? By the way, his name means useless. So, how, <laughs> so I, I think he was slave with an attitude. He was a little grumpy and he knew as a human he had rights and those rights were being violated. So there were sometimes Philemon said, go do something. And it's like, he was just kind of like, you know, nope, homie, don't do that, you know. And, uh, and so he copped an attitude or something, got the nickname Useless. And, um, and then Onesimus was a pretty courageous guy. You want to get, a, a quick way to get yourself killed is to, to be a runaway slave. Well, uh, Onesimus ran away. Okay, this might be, I'm not sure, it's hard to tie in at all, but this might be when Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon. So when they were carrying the letter to the Colossians, they might have been carrying the letter to Philemon as well. And Paul says in the letter to Philemon, you know, it's a spoiler alert for when I preach on that in about a year, um, but Paul says, look, I have to obey Roman law. I have to return them to you. But don't forget, Philemon, I, the Apostle Paul, led you to Christ. And I don't want to pressure you, but, but you got eternal life because I preached Jesus to you. And so I'm going to ask a little favor. How could Philemon refuse this? I'm going to ask you a little favor. Onesimus. He was useless to you, but he's useful to me. He's one of my colleagues. He's a warrior for Christ. And uh, I'm going to send him back to you because Roman law says I have to. But he's a Christian brother now. I led him to Jesus just like I led you to Jesus. He might be useless to you. He's useful to me. I'm requesting, I can't command you to do this, I'm requesting that you set him free and send him back to me because he's useful for me. He is, this guy is on fire for Jesus and he's faithful to the Lord and he's faithful to me. And uh, send me Onesimo, send me useless because he's useful for me. Um... Now, we're not told what happened, um, but I think when you read, I don't think Philemon would have shared that letter with anybody, that letter that Paul wrote to him, unless he set him free. And it just so happens, one of the big bishops in the early church, and, you know, by the way, you look at all the big bishops in the early church, heads of churches and towns and stuff like that and cities, they ran with the big guys. They ran with the original apostles. 
And um, like Polycarp was a pupil of the Apostle John, as was Papias. And then um, uh, Ignatius went to Antioch of Syria, where, where uh, Paul and Barnabas went to church. And, and Clement of Rome was a colleague. Came the Bishop of Rome was a colleague of Paul's. And uh, so these were young guys, but another 20, 30 years later, they were good bishop material. Well, there's a bishop named Onesimus. And um, so most scholars believe that not only did Philemon set him free, he became a faithful colleague to Paul till the day Paul died, and then he continued to preach Jesus. And eventually when it came time to picking a bishop of a major city, a collection of churches, uh, Onesimus answered the call. And, uh, but Paul's saying, in the meantime, until we convince can convince your slave masters um, to, uh, to set you free. In the meantime, you submit to your slave masters. And slave masters, if you don't set your slaves free, um, you better treat them with dignity. You better, you know, it's kind of like Abraham's slave. What was it? Uh, Eliezer? Can't remember. Wait. And, um, but he treated the guy like his own son. He was like, Lord, if you can't give me and Sarah a son, I'll... Make him my son. And, um, and so, um, so Onesimus was eventually freed and became one of Paul's colleagues and a bishop in the early church. And he's mentioned right here in this letter. So, uh, um, and he, he might have, Onesimus might have been real nervous coming back because he was going to find out if Philemon was going to set him free. And, um, uh, but the ancient Christian view of slavery was... Masters should treat slaves humanely and kindly. Better yet, set them free. Just read Philemon. Better yet, set them free. Uh, but the, unfortunately, the ancient church had no political power uh, to abolish slavery. And so we see here that uh, we're to set our mind on heavenly things. We're to put on the new man in love, righteousness, and thanksgiving and allow Christ to transform not only us, but our households, and our, our, our work site, and our culture, and our relationship uh, with others. So now we move on to uh, chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. This is the other handout. Paul says to continue earnestly in prayer and thanksgiving. So verses 2 to 4, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, with thanksgiving, you know, we get the word vigilante from that. You know, a guy takes the law into his own hands. Uh, um, so, I mean, it's like, it, it's almost like Paul saying, continue earnestly in prayer, being violently, violently passionate in your prayer with thanksgiving. Okay? So you ought to have more passion in your prayer life I'm a, I'll come out of the closet. I'm a Raider fan, okay? And we got a few more Raider fans here, so so that's good. So I'm not alone. And uh, Pedro's giving me the thumbs down right now. But but uh, I should be, and I confess to you as your pastor, this is not always the case, but I should be more vigilant and earnest and passionate in my prayer than I am at a Raider game, watching a Raider game. And um, is that always the case? No, 
And that means I'm on the same journey that you are, that there's still too much of the old man. But we need to be uh, earnest, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Okay, you know, my wife going for heart surgery and having a pacemaker and surgery, now they got to redo it just a couple days later and the pain that she's going through, the pain that she's in, well, I'm supposed to be praying for her, okay, with thanksgiving. So it's not just when things go our way that we thank God. We should be thanking God all the time because no matter how bad things are, there's always somebody going through or going through something worse. Believe me, in America, we got it good. Okay, if uh, if I have three meals today and open up my refrigerator door and there's no snacks for in between the meals, I think I'm going through trials and tribulation. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we we got brothers and sisters and in, in Ethiopia. Just a handful of grain to get them through that day. And they're thankful. So we're spoiled. We're God's spoiled kids. Okay? The American church. Now, we were singing one of the songs about, you know, I see a generation with selfless love selling out revival. And I was thinking to myself, no, that's not true. That's not true today. There's the way this generation really, you know, spiritually stinks. It's a theological term. We stink. But then I thought, wait a minute. That's only in the West. That's only in Europe and America. Is there a generation experiencing revival right now with selfless love? Yeah. Third world countries all over the world. You realize there's a higher percentage of Africans profess to be Christians than, than do in America? Um, Christianity is on the rise in African nations, in Eastern countries, and in Central and South America. Christianity is growing at a faster pace right now than any other time in the history of the church. There is revival going on, just not in America. We, 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 we better get revival. We're toast without revival. And uh, even with revival, God might say, well, fine, but you, you're past the point of no return. America's got judgment. And, um, but whatever the case... Um, we continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. We've got to be thankful. Meanwhile, praying, Paul says, also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may, my, may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So Paul says, look, continue earnestly in prayer and with thanksgiving. Every prayer we pray ought to contain thanksgiving, no matter how bad things are. Okay? But we need to be earnest and vigilant and diligent in prayer. And we need to pray for Christian missionary work. We have a village missions pastor that we help support. We help support uh, the uh, missions work in North Africa. Okay? Um, we're trying to help uh, the, the uh, ministry over there in the Philippines. We need to pray for Christian missionary work, that God would open doors for ministry, that, the, that they would proclaim the true mystery of Christ, not the false Gnostic mysteries or the false wisdom of man, but the true mystery of Christ. 
um, that Paul proclaimed. And then Paul tells him, and this is like really convicting for me, Paul, who is in chains, in prison, tells them, pray for me that I have more boldness in my preaching. Okay? Let me say, if Paul needed more boldness, then so do we. Okay? I don't think there's anybody in this church who would claim to have more boldness in preaching the gospel than Paul. And by the way, by boldness in preaching the gospel, I am not saying, and Paul is not saying, it's your job to offend everybody. It is our job to offend no one. That might sound weird and wishy-washy, but no. If the, the world's biggest sinner walked in and sat down here, it's not my job to offend them. It's my job to proclaim the truth. But guess what? The gospel offends most people. Okay? So if you're sharing the gospel with others and it offends them, it's not your fault. It's the fact the person just hates the truth and hates the, is rejecting God's grace. Okay? Um, so having more boldness doesn't mean that you're that guy on the work site that stands on the table in the cafeteria and preaches until they fire you. Okay? We're supposed to speak the truth. We're supposed to speak the truth in love and with wisdom. Okay? Um, if, if there's a non-believer here and I'm trying to talk with them about the Lord and if I think if I take this approach it's going to push them away from Jesus and cause a stumbling block then I won't take that approach. I'll take a different approach. I won't compromise the gospel message. But, you know, it, let's just say we live in a culture where people have thin skin. Okay? And they get offended at every little thing. If walking up to a person and telling them, you know what? If you don't trust in Jesus for salvation, you're going to burn in hell forever. Well, that's the truth. But if we know that in our culture... Some cultures would thank you for sharing that. Would see the importance in it. Not this culture. You know? And so we got to figure out, okay, how can I preach the truth, boldly preach the truth, but do it in a way that the person might actually consider trusting in Jesus for salvation? And um, I, I'll be honest with you, I think the hardest thing right now is just communicating with dehumanized humans. I mean, it's like you say hello to somebody and they're like, dude, I talk to people on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or when I'm playing computer games. I don't even know you and you're saying hello to me? Um, statistics are shown in the information age that there's some people that don't even have two or three close friends. Everybody they call friends, you know, it's like, you know, you could have 5,000 friends on Facebook. Uh, how many of them are real friends? Well, I hope and pray maybe 100 of them, or maybe 50 or maybe 20. We got a lot of people out there that are mistaken Facebook friends and Instagram friends for real friends. And um, so I, to me, it's really tough to break the ice. So I say God bless you to everybody. And since COVID-19, everybody's afraid of COVID. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, in COVID, you know, if, if you have some health factors and stuff, you don't want to get COVID. But when I tell people, God bless you and be safe, 
Even people that don't like hearing God bless you, they start thinking, maybe this guy really cares about me. Now, I'm not saying be safe from COVID. I'm telling them be safe from the government. Because the government don't, government don't love you no more, you know? And, uh, uh, but whatever the case, um, uh, and then hopefully we can start opening up communications. We're going to see where Paul mentions it. In fact, I'll read the next few verses, but we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more next week because we're going to be receiving communion. But in Colossians 4, uh, so if Paul needs prayer for more boldness, then we, we need to pray for missions work, but we need to pray that God gives us more boldness. Then Paul says this in verses 5 and 6, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, those outside the church, redeeming the time. In other words, make the most of the time. Let your speech always be with grace. So if you're always shouting at people when you're sharing the gospel message, where's the grace in that? Okay, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now you might say, well, Paul, that was okay back then, but you should see how much our government and our culture hates us. Let me, let me tell you, uh, the, the early church, ancient Christians were called atheists, because they didn't bow before any idols of Roman gods. They were called uh, treasonous uh, and haters of mankind because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't burn incense to the Roman gods. And Rome thought, well, we conquered the whole world. So now we have the Pax Romanus, the peace of Rome. And if you're opposed, if you won't worship Caesar as one of your deities, then you're against the peace. You're a hater of mankind. You're a terrorist. Uh, you're guilty of treason. And then they accuse Christians of being sexually immoral um, because they had agape love feast. They eventually had to separate, by the way, we're going to receive communion. They had to separate their communion from the agape love feast. Because the agape love feasts were like potlucks and communion, you're celebrating the the Jesus' body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us. Well, people were ending up during communion, it was blent in with the agape love potlucks that um that they start they didn't eat at home. If you, let me get as much bread and as much wine as I can there. And Paul says, No. Um you've got to focus on Christ's death. His body broken for you, his blood shed for you. But just the title, Agape Love Feast, uh, that a lot of the pagans thought, and the Christians had to worship in secret because uh, eventually the Roman government came down on them. And so they thought they're having Agape Love Feast in secret. They thought it was like maybe sexual orgies uh, and they were sexually immoral. Now today, Christians will never be accused of being sexually, unjustly accused of being sexually immoral um, now we'll be accused more of being uh, sexually intolerant because we think all sex outside of heterosexual monogamous marriage, one man and one woman, all sex outside of that is sin. So we believe homosexuality is sin, transgenderism is sin, um, premarital sex, sexual promiscuity, so we'd be viewed as being sexually intolerant. Um, but back then they were accused of being 
sexually immoral, and they were accused of being cannibals. Anybody on figure out how, why they would be accused of being cannibals? It's because Christians are sharing their faith and they're saying, we, we eat Christ's body and drink his blood. Okay? And um, some, uh, some ancient pagans couldn't handle a metaphor. So, uh, let me tell you, if, uh, if Paul needed more boldness when that's the way Christians were viewed, then, um, you know, another way of putting it is, if you want to learn about how to do Christian ministry right now, read the book of Acts, where all of a sudden the culture is against Christians. Um, you can get beat up in public for being a Christian. Um, uh, and eventually the government starts cracking down on you. And, uh, and Christians are accused of all kinds of evil. Um, no. Um, those, those days, it's like we're back in the book of Acts. And so let me just close with Ephesians 6, 18 to 20. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He mentioned that same... You know, he talked about the new man, putting on the new man in Ephesians 5. And then he gets to Ephesians... Ephesians 6, and he gives us the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. And um, with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the shoes with the preparation of the gospel of peace, um, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But right at the end there, verse 18, you know, put on the full armor of God. And then he says, Praying always, not just sometimes, always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to do that without being grounded in God's Word. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You, you petition God for others. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance. If you don't persevere in your prayer life and your study of God's Word, you will not persevere in the Christian walk. Okay, um, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We've got to pray for all believers. Matthew 5, we've even got to pray for our enemies, even those who persecute us. We've got to love them and pray for them. And uh, verse 19, and Paul says, And for me, pray for him, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, he's in prison, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so in, in closing, on that job site, you're not really working for your boss, you're working for the Lord. So even when he's not watching, or she's not watching, you work hard, okay? And that's even hard for me. I teach a much better lesson plan when my boss, the principal, is in the room than when the principal's not in the room. And I need to work on that. Uh, but then Paul says, you know, and if you're the boss, treat your people with dignity. But Paul says we need to pray without ceasing, but even pray. Pray that the gospel is preached, but pray for more, more boldness. Uh, we need to pray for each other that God would open our mouths boldly. Pray that we may speak boldly. I'm telling you, 
Uh, now is not the time to be passive. We do not know how many days we have in America before the gospel, the preaching of the gospel will be outlawed. Try preaching the gospel, by the way, in the public schools since the 1960s. Okay? Well, now that's happening all over this culture. We need to pray for more boldness. Um, every sermon I preach here, it goes on Christian radio in the Seattle area to thousands of people. It goes onto the internet. Okay? So we're not hiding anything. So, you know, this could be, uh, you know, some people say, well, maybe I need to put a lid on uh, our preaching of the gospel. No, we decided to get more radio to reach more people uh, because time is short. I'm going to close with that. Because time is short, this is a time for boldness. Boldness in our preaching and vigilance in our prayer. Um, it's an exciting time to be alive. We got to preach Jesus till He takes us home, where He returns in glory. And um, I'm just going to turn it over to Pastor John. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper.